Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Monday, the 16th of October, 2023. My name is Mark Matthews. I'm the head of research in Asia at Bank Julius Baer, and welcome to our weekly Beyond Markets update. The big moves last week were in gold and oil. Gold up 8%, oil up 6%. Israel is the reason. For Israel, only soldiers died in the 1973 Yom Kippur War, but last weekend was the deadliest for the nation in its entire history. And it's clear there's about to be a lot more death and suffering as the army gets ready to move into the northern part of the Gaza Strip. One equity strategist who's always thought a lot about geopolitics, well before it was fashionable to do so, is Macquarie Capital's Victor Schwetz. And what he penned over the weekend was, I thought, worth sharing with you. I'm going to quote him now. There is a perception that we're on the precipice of a substantial change that could disrupt global demand and supply curves and permanently raise risk premia. These fears reflect profound changes since the global financial crisis, the separation of the world into spheres of interest, conflict in Ukraine, the Middle East, etc. But Victor continued, all of this has actually shown the resilience and flexibility of global supply chains and trade and finance links. The key is not whether there will be conflicts. There will always be conflicts, unfortunately. The key is what their intensity is. If there is no major hot war, then we will be in a world like the 1950s and 1960s, which is to say a Cold War world, but with balanced supply and demand and therefore limited inflation. That's what Victor Schwetz of Macquarie Capital wrote. And it's our house view too. Still, it's clear the violence in Israel and the possibility it could become something bigger has had an impact on the price of debt. Ten days ago, on Friday the 6th of October, the 10-year Treasury yield reached an intraday high of 4.88%. And since then, despite a strong September labor report and a strong September inflation report, the yield has come down to 4.65%. Speaking of that September inflation report, I have to admit it wasn't what we would have liked to see. Inflation was up 3.7% from September last year. Not that it was way out of whack with what people were looking for. The consensus was looking for 3.6%. The Cleveland Federal Reserve was looking for 3.7%. But it's a good deal higher than the low that inflation got to back in June, which was just 3%. If we look under the hood, the item in the inflation basket that rose the most in September was transportation. It was up 9.1%. That's too bad. But transportation is actually only 13% of the inflation basket. And the good news is that gasoline prices have been falling over the last couple of weeks. They're lower actually now than they were this time last year. So in October, transportation will almost certainly be down in the CPI basket. But after transportation, the item that went up the most was what the Bureau of Labor Statistics calls shelter. That means property. Shelter inflation rose 7.2%. And it is by far the biggest item in the inflation basket, 30% of headline and 40% of core inflation. The Bureau of Labor Statistics noted that shelter alone was over 70% of the total increase in core inflation. So if we took shelter away, what would the picture look like? Actually, if we took it away, inflation would be running at just 1.9%, exactly where the Fed would like to see it. 
Core inflation, less shelter, by the way, was Paul Volcker's favorite measure when he was the Federal Reserve and chairman. He's not the chairman anymore. We can't ignore shelter. And we have to admit the lag between falling house costs and when they show up in the CPI report has been more stubborn and longer than what had been anticipated. What we do know, though, is that private property rental indices have been coming down a lot. Zillow's rent index, for example, was running at over 2% a year ago. It's only 0.2% today. And the two components that make up shelter CPI, owner's equivalent rent and rent itself, are now in absolute terms very high, so high that they really are becoming unaffordable for many. The average rent and the average mortgage are in excess of $2,000 a month now. Five years ago, the average rent was just $1,500 a month, and the average mortgage was just $1,000 a month. To put that $2,000 rent per month that people are paying today in perspective, it is 1,800% more expensive than what rent was for baby boomers in the 1970s, when they were in their 20s but incomes have only gone up 500% over the same period of time. So it's very hard for young people, and increasingly they're having to work in more than one job in order to survive. There's actually twice as many people doing that now than there were 10 years ago. That could have implications for next year's election, because young people are usually apathetic voters. But in 2020, half of them turned out to vote, an 11 percentage point increase from 2016 and 65% of them voted for Joe Biden. Next year, given the high cost of living that's hurt them so much more than any other group, that percent may go down. At least for now, the Federal Reserve doesn't seem flummoxed by inflation. On Friday, Philadelphia Fed President Harker said, and I'll quote him here, at this point, we can hold rates where they are. I'm sure policy rates are restrictive, and as long as they remain so, we will steadily press down on inflation and bring markets into a better balance. That's exactly what San Francisco President Mary Daly said last week, and Dallas President Lori Logan, and Vice Chairman Philip Jefferson. They all said the rise in Treasury yields has tightened financial conditions enough that the Fed doesn't need to raise rates more. And on the CPI inflation report, Harker said he didn't want to, quote, overreact to the normal month-on-month variability of prices, end of quote. As for our Julius Baer house view, our economist David Cole tweaked his inflation forecast for 2023 from 4% to 4.1%, and for 2024 from 2.4% to 2.5%. But those are very small changes. And David says the probability the Fed raises rates going forward still remains very small. He thinks the rise in rent prices was an outlier. If we turn now to markets, the fall in long bond prices that started in the summer of 2020 has turned into a bear market that ranks on par with some of the most historic bear markets. Because since the summer of 2020, investors in long bonds have lost 50%. That's around the same as the global financial crisis in 2008 and 2009 when the S&P 500 fell 56% from top to bottom, or the oil shock of 1973 to 1974 when the S&P dropped 48%. But those were stock market bear markets. Stock markets are supposed to go up and down a lot. None of the other bond bear markets have been anywhere near this severe. The last three bond bear markets, for example, were 
2016 to 2018, when long bonds were down 21%, 2012 to 2013, they were down 22%, and in 2008 to 2010, they were down 28%. Nowhere near the 50% that we've experienced since 2020. Hedge funds never believed that 2023 was going to be a good year for treasuries. We know that because they've been short treasuries all year. In total, they have $600 billion in short positions against the $25 trillion treasury market. Goldman Sachs is among the biggest prime brokers for hedge funds. It recently asked a question to its clients. Where do you see 10-year treasuries at year end? 30% of them said between 4 and 3 quarters to 5%. Only 8% said they think it will be over 5%, meaning most think rates are not going higher. If some of those hedge funds unwind some of those short treasury positions, that could provide significant demand. To round off with the stock market, at one point at the end of July, the S&P was up as much as 28% from its October 2022 low. That's an impressive return for just eight months. Since then, the S&P's come down 7%. And on Thursday last week, it marked the first year anniversary of the bull market. The 21% gain in the first year of this bull market is actually pretty pallid compared to the average 37% gain in the first year of the last 16 bull markets over the last 100 years. And we know the bull market of the last year has been driven by the so-called Magnificent Seven, Amazon, Apple, Google, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. Two weeks ago, they rose to 29% of the S&P's market capitalization, surpassing their previous high of 28% of the S&P's market capitalization in November 2021. But if other sectors report positive year-on-year earnings growth in the third quarter and beat expectations, that percent of market cap for the Magnificent Seven may go down as the other sectors catch up. We'll know soon enough if that happens. The consensus is looking for just 0.1% earnings growth in the third quarter. But if you exclude energy, that goes up to a 5.2% increase. And we know that economic data in the third quarter was much better than what economists had been looking for. So chances are, third quarter results could be significantly better than expectations. Actually, the reporting started last week with the big banks in particular. Combined, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citi saw earnings up 34% year-on-year. Although J.P. Morgan's CEO, Jamie Dimon, did say the global outlook was the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades and the bank is preparing for a broad range of outcomes. Still, if we add those big three banks to the 29 other S&P 500 companies that have reported so far, 84% reported a positive earnings surprise, above the five-year average of 77%. And all 32 companies that have reported so far have beaten consensus estimates by 10.1%, which is above the five-year average of 8.5%. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead, and we'll speak with you again next week. Goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, 
visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.